The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good night. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. You're listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. And as you know, you can listen to us every Wednesdays live from 10 to 11. That's Eastern Time. And at the end of the day, we have put up our archives, and uh, you can listen to the show anytime at your leisure. Also, uh, listen to me on Thursday mornings from 9 to 10 Eastern Time, 90.9 FM WCDB, or radio station here in Albany, New York, and uh, the title of the show is The Social Workers, and we talk about similar kinds of things that we do on the Catherine Zock Show, but more focused on specifically social work issues. Um, you can li- archive us also as well. That uh, comes up at the end of the day, and you can listen to the show anytime. Uh, we have two guests on uh, the Catherine Zock Show this morning. Uh, my first guest is going to be Lauren Deller-Blake. Many of you remember Lauren. She used to co-host the show with me. She just came out with her new book, Splash, How Women Entrepreneurs Dive into Success. Uh, the forward is by Marcy Shimoff. Uh, she's the best-selling author of Love for No Reason and Happy for No Reason. She's also been on the show, so we're real excited about Lauren's new book, and it's been quite a while uh, in the running, but uh, she interviews about 20 entrepreneurs, female entrepreneurs who have been successful. She talks about talks to them about their vision, their goals, their intentions, their choices, responsibility, balance, all of the issues that Lauren and I have talked about on the show. Lauren is a coach, she's an author, and she is a public speaker, and she has some really interesting women. We're going to be discussing that later on in the show. Also, Stephen Nathy and Gregory White-Smith have just come out with their new book called Look into the Life of Van Gogh. And it's a new book that they've been writing for about 10 years, even longer than it's taken Lauren to write her book. Anyway, 10 years. And it's uh, a new landmark biography on the life of Vincent Van Gogh. So we're excited about that. And they are Pulitzer Prize winners. They co-authored the book of uh, the artist Jackson Pollock. Maybe some of you have read it. And then there was a, a movie uh, shortly after that, but they are uh, Pulitzer Prize winners who have taken a l- new look at Van Gogh's life. Uh, but right now, we, Lauren is ready, here, available. It's exciting to talk to her again. Lauren, how are you this morning? Hey, Catherine. What a surprise. I know. It's great. It's your book, it's so exciting. I Congratulations. Thank you. It's been a work in progress. I know. That's what I was just saying. I say, we used to talk about it on the show. Oh, Finally my goodness. Here. Flash, I've already mentioned it, How Women Entrepreneurs Dive Into Success. Um, terrific book, great women that you have in the book, so let's talk about it. But why, Lauren, why the book, why now? Well, why the book? First, I, you know, when I was, I've been coaching since 2001, so a decade, crazy, it's been a decade. But what I noticed is 
there was very clearly two different types of women in the world. There was women that were struggling to create success. <coughs> Excuse me. And then there were women that created success and were sort of gliding through life. And I wanted to get in the minds of those that were gliding, you know, those that were, had created success. And I wanted to get into those minds of those women and share how they were thinking, how they were doing in the world, how they were creating success consistently. Because it's not something that just happens and it's over. It's something that they maintain. So I asked um, all 20, 21 women actually, I asked all of them the same questions around seven different topic areas. And what we did is we found a lot of similarities and some very distinct differences and wrote about that. That's what, it, that's what the story is all, That's what the book's all about. Well, okay. Now, seven distinct areas, which I like because you really, you, you're always so good at focusing. Um, and on the air and also in your book as well. But, okay, so similarities, differences. Well, maybe we should take those uh, piece by piece, you know, in terms of each one of the authors and, or each one of the, the successful women entrepreneurs. Um, I mean, you take the first piece that you talk about when you focus on the issues are big picture, creating your vision. You say some of these women do things in a similar way, and then there are some big differences. Let's talk about that specifics in terms of each one of these ladies. Well, vision is interesting because everyone but one had a vision. Every single one had a vision. So that was interesting. So if people think that having a vision doesn't matter, I would absolutely say no way. A vision, when it comes to success, vision matters. I've always said that. All right, so um, tell us what a vision is because there are still people out there what exactly is a vision? They think a vision is a goal, but they're not sure it's exactly. Bigger, yeah, it's bigger than a goal. It's, in my opinion, it's farther out than a goal. A goal is a little more tangible, where a vision is sort of like a sense of the end place you want to end up. You know, it has a tone to it. It has an essence to it. It has a, uh, you know, there's a place that you want to arrive at, if you will. It's a destination. So in terms of that destination, take one of those women, those entrepreneurs, Use her vision, and we'll make it you know, make it real. Uh, give an exa- case example. Well, let's say you're putting me on the spot, which is always <laughs> such a fun thing, Catherine. So let me go through my. Um, well, I, I have to think of one. There's one. There's there's so many. Um, well, I know that you have one who is considered Oprah's all-time favorite guest. Oh yes, but she wasn't interviewed for the book. Yes, that's a whole other story. Actually, uh, Tara I. Trent is who you're speaking to. Tara I. Trent is an amazing woman with a vision. Um, but you know, there's so many. Uh, there's another one. I mean, let's we can talk about Tara I. all day. Another okay. one is Kendra Scott. Let's talk about Kendra really briefly. Kendra was a single mom. Um, walking her child around in those little baby Bjorn things, you know, selling hats at the time. And now she's a world-renowned jeweler. But she had a vision that she was going to be working with top, um, you know, designers for accessories. She had a vision. She held it. But it was, there was a goal, and the goal was to put food on her table for that little boy. So the vision was to be a world-renowned, well-recognized person who was going to create these accessories. Exactly. Okay. And so she always had that vision, and then that, if you don't, in certain ways, Lauren, if you don't have a vision, how are you going to get there, isn't it? I mean, Exactly. <laughs> like, we all wander. We wander. We don't have a destination. So, yeah, that vision is totally, and we, let's, and let's go back to Tara I. Trent. Um, as you just said, Oprah's favorite guest of all time um, and a client of mine and has been for almost two years. And she, Tara I. Trent is another woman who 
at very early on, her mother um, kept hearing her say that she wanted more. She wanted, there was more she wanted to do. She wanted to learn to read. She was from Africa, and girls weren't really allowed to go to school to learn to read, but her brother did, and she just was so envious of her brother. She wanted to, you know, learn what he was able to learn, so he would teach her what he was learning. And she one day wrote down her goals on a piece of paper, and it was really, they were very specific goals, but more so, it was a vision for her life of what was possible. And it was a vision for getting to America and having a free, a free life to pursue the things she wanted to pursue. That was her vision. But she had had these very, very, very specific and measurable goals of getting an education, um, and it was very specific, first getting her going, you know, graduating from high school and then getting her bachelor's and getting her master's and getting her doctorate, which she did uh, three years ago now, actually two years ago now. Um, and she, all those goals are checked off, and she you know, ended up, she, she wants to also, through her whole entire process, she wanted to earn money to be able to go back to her village and rebuild the school so that they could hold more children. And what happened? Oh, she became Oprah's favorite guest of all time, and Oprah gave her $1.3 million to build the school and rebuild it rather than, you know, she didn't know how it was going to happen, but the how didn't really matter. It was the what she was attached to. That's an amazing story. I Isn't mean, that's, amazing. Yeah, that, I mean, that's everybody's. I would say a lot of us women that would be our dream. Exactly. Uh, yeah, and so that was her vision, and she had her specific goals, and she did it, and then she became recognized by Oprah. That's quite a story, uh, creating your vision. But Lauren, what about you? Mentioned that there was one woman who didn't have a vision. So tell us about her. Yeah, um, and that was an interesting. I almost didn't want to include her because she was sort of the anomaly, but what I found is she really did have a vision. She just didn't realize she had a vision, if that makes sense. She just didn't see it as a vision. She, um, she continued to plow forward in spite of the hard times, in spite of you know, the, the challenges with her business. And she's been in business, I think it was like 22 years. What's her business? She has a graphics company in New York. So, in other words, she really she had a vision, but she didn't. Well, she didn't write she it didn't, down, like you tell us. She didn't write it down, and she didn't. She wasn't really attached to it. But I have a sense that she was probably more attached than she was. But she was very disconnected to it, and she laughs about it now. When I asked her the question directly, she was laughing about had a vision. No, I was flying by the seat of my pants. Well, I, the reason I left the story in is because I think so many women can relate to that because we are all flying by the seat of our pants some days. It feels like that, and so I think there's some real honesty and vulnerability in that process. I um, think particularly today, and I think you, you do mention this in, your, in, in the book, um, you know, we're, or we're at a particular time now where it's really difficult, particularly for entrepreneurs, and then maybe particularly even for women entrepreneurs, to, to get started because of the economy. And uh, so we probably, you know, in reading your book, we really do have to stay focused. You can't you know, riding by the seat of your pants or not having a bit of vision or not having goals is going to make it doubly tough in this economy and Absolutely. In this environment. Absolutely. I agree with that. We need, to have, um, we need to have a clear plan each day. We need to have goals. So, yeah, they're real important. I agree with that. Now, one of the other things that we can go on to next, because you talk about setting, writing, and achieving goals, and I think one of the things that you've always taught me uh, as my coach, when you were my coach, is really this writing things down makes such a difference. I mean, it's an, it really, whatever it does, it makes it real once you write it down. Once you talk about it to somebody else, it also makes it real, but writing it down is so important. What's your goal? What's your vision? 
In this book, if I was to say what it is, it's a goals book. This book talks about how to set goals. I actually share for the first time ever my goal um, tool. So it's actually in the book in two different places. You can copy the page and um, start to fill out your goals for 2012. This book is about achieving your goals. That's what this book is all about. And it's very specific. So, you know, it's really clear. I mean, you've interviewed these women. They tell you how they've done all of these things. And as you say, then, I mean, in the in the book, you specifically have uh, pages dedicated to, to how to do it, to how to write your vision, how to write your goals. Um, intention and intuition, you talk about that. What does that mean? You know, um, one of my favorite stories, uh, I interviewed uh, Deepak Chopra's daughter, Malika Chopra, and um, I just loved listening to her. I, the shortest interview of all the, the people that I worked with, um, she was the shortest interview, but she gave me this juicy little story about the power of intention. I asked. I was actually asking questions about her dad, um, you know, and his role in her life. Or I was asking about men, actually, referring to chapter six and what was the role of um, men in her life. And I never brought up her dad actually ever, um, but I was asking specifically about men, and I was referring to her husband at the time. And she brought up her her um, father and said that her father had one role in her life, and he a you know, very specific role every single day. It was a consistent role that he did every single day with all of his children, and that was before bed at night. He would ask them the question, what is your intention for tomorrow? And they had to answer the question. So she said that very early on she learned the power of intention, and that setting an intention changed their world. It, had, it gave them something to focus on each day for the next day. And I think that as, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I think that as women, that is such a powerful exercise to ask ourselves that question. Um, every single day, I like to ask it in the morning, what's the, what is my intention? Um, so I just I think it's a, a very valuable tool, intention, and it goes with intuition because I do believe that women are really, and men too, are great at listening to their intuition. I think women listen better, but we don't trust it oftentimes. We will go and do the research, but we already know the answer. I think you're right, and I want to just really focus on that intention thing because I, I do. I have a girlfriend, and it drives me crazy because she's <laughs> always saying to me, "Well, you know," she said, "What will be?" She has these little kind of aphorisms: "What will be, will be," and if it's meant to be, it will be, and all of these things that really have nothing to do with intention. So things just kind of happen, and then she reacts to them rather than being proactive, which this does. You have an intention, follow your intuition, be aware of your intuition. And, and as you say, I think as women, we are aware of it, but don't deny it. You know, we sometimes poo-poo it. You know, we have an intuition and we don't go with it. Yeah, I agree with it. We don't trust it. We don't trust it. I, we don't trust it. Um, and I don't know. There's been times in my life, I mean, I, I think trusting is just such an important tool to trust the universe, but also to absolutely notice your, um, the difference between, you know, the little, the little red flags that stand up and the intuition and know the difference. Right, so tell us, what is the difference between the little red flags? You know, the little the red flags that you say, oh, something's not quite right there, but we don't, we brush it, we, want it, we don't want to acknowledge it. Why do you think we don't want to? Because I think that's such a common thing. We just want to push it away. It's like, and you know it's there, and it keeps happening over and over again, and it's like, okay, this time, I'm, and I think as one gets older and experienced, and if you want to learn and read your book, um, you will begin to do that, and you won't 
push it away because I'd say nine times out of ten, everything is all right there. If you pay attention to it, trust it, and then act on it. Well, to me, I think those two things are really different and important to pay attention to. So your intuition is speaking to you about the greater good for yourself. There are little tiny whispers that say, don't go there. Now's not the time to take that little trip, or now's not the time to um, start dating that guy, uh, or whatever it is. Um, Those are red flags that we say, pay attention to the clues, pay attention to the signs. Um, And they also are intuition. They just are, we tend to, I think, therefore, it has us not trust, if that makes any sense. It has us second-guess our trusting. Did anybody, any of the women that you interviewed, particularly focus on intention and intuition? Specifically, well, you just mentioned uh, Deepak Chopra's uh, daughter. Uh, is there anybody else that stands out in the book? Many, many, many of yeah. the women, when I brought it up, when I bring up the word intention or intuition, many, I would say half of them totally got the power of intention, and the other half maybe didn't. And that's, I haven't counted that exactly, but that's, that's probably um, about, about right. You know, when you were writing the book, or when, actually when you were doing the interviews, um, I know that just that whole process changes one because not only you're, you're getting all this information, but it also, I mean, that's which is cognitive stuff, but then emotionally as you connect with each one of these women, I know that when I interview people on the show, each person has some effect on me, even if I'm not aware of it. Absolutely. So curi- yeah, so I'm curious as to how that affect how your interviewing these women affected you. Oh, my God, I loved every interview. It was, uh-huh. as you said, it was everyone, you learn from everybody, they sort of impact your life in some capacity, which is just so fabulous and fun. Um, yeah, it, that's, it, was, it was great. I loved doing it, and I learned from everybody, and everybody's story has value. And what I know is it's not just these 21 women's whose stories who have value. Every single one of us has a story that has value in the world. And that was my intent, was to help people see that their story has value. Well, you certainly did that, and, uh, I mean, you do that. You do that as a coach. I'll vouch for that, but you've also done it in the book. You know, we're going to take a break. You're going to come back, uh, but maybe I should wait for this one because I think this next one is so important, one of the things that you focused on in the book, creating a full, balanced life. Creating a – yeah, to me, that's a biggie, and I mean – People talk about it all the time, and there are books written about it all the time, but when it actually comes down for us to do it and us as women to do it, we sometimes really fall short of doing that. So um, I think I'd like to – I want to talk about you in creating a full, balanced life, and myself as well, because I think this impacts on the, definitely impacts on the work you do and the work that I do. Um, well, let's start with it, and then we can take a break and then come back to it. So creating a full, balanced life. I assume that each one of these women, their intention is to do this. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And some uh, doing it in better capacities than others. And yeah. I think, yeah. So in this case, who stands out? Who stands out? Any of the ones that you haven't mentioned? Any of the oh. other women? Yeah. Or is you know, there I, I think there's a couple that stand, stood out. Um, there was, uh, well, I was going to mention one that I've already mentioned, but one of the things that I'm going to talk about Malika Chopra again, just because um, one of the things that she said that I thought was so important, and you and I have talked about this, I thought of you often um, when I was writing this book, that creating a full and balanced life is not something we can do alone. It takes a village to create a full and balanced life. It also takes a vision uh, that is full and balanced and goals that are full and balanced. So, in other words, if we just have goals in the work area, 
that is going to naturally attract us to be more workaholics. If we have goals in all areas of our life, that will naturally create a more balanced and full life. But we, you can't do it all by yourself. You need to have a village to support you in all of the areas of your life so that you create that full and balanced ex, you know, experience. Yeah, that is so true. And, and I, I think of that, too, and I think of our conversations because I think on every day, um, you know, you talk about intention. I think that when I wake up in the morning or the night before or whenever it is, I do think about that, how I want to have a full and balanced life. And I always have to be aware, I think, of what I'm doing, because if I'm not, it will tend to go in one direction or the other. And I think you have to be, I think the word deliberate comes into mind. Deliberate, it does. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You have to be deliberate about that. And if you're not, it really is very easy to get off balance. Yeah. Yeah. And, and one of the things um, in, in reading your book and listening, you know, your interviews with these women, I'm th- I was thinking to myself, you know, I'm getting really pretty good at it. I'm like, you know, I, I have my work, I have my radio, I'm very clear about wanting to do things with family, and as you know, traveling is a big thing for me. It adds yeah. so much to what I do, but it also takes up a lot of time. But if I don't do that, I'm not going to be the person I want to be on the radio, or I'm not going to be the person I want to be when I'm lecturing, or whatever it is. Exactly. Yeah, and so I have to, you have to be organized, too. I, I don't see the word organized here, but I think that's important. And everybody has a different idea of what organized means. So I think that that is, it was a, I was, I'm a very organized person. I tend to be. I can get pretty messy, too. But um, I, I, if things are out of organ, if my mind is not organized, then I have bigger issues. Yeah. <laughs> but I How about I think my office? The office, that needs to be organized, which I, I, I actually did at 6 o'clock this morning so that I could do a better show today. Anyway, it's so, well, we're going to just take a break. We'll be back because I still want to talk about this creating a full, balanced life. I think that's so important. Um, we are talking to, I am talking to, conversation with Lauren Beller-Blake. Her new book is Splash, How Women Entrepreneurs drive, Dive Into Success. Actually, and there are several websites that you can go to um, if you want to get in touch with Lauren, I see that you have, th- but one of them is laurenbellerblake.com. Don't go away. Lauren and I will be back in a minute. You're listening to The Catherine Zock Show on voiceamericavariety.com and World Talk Radio. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. If you're a golf enthusiast and looking for some great golf properties in the desert southwest, you'll want to make the Golf Realty Network your weekly stop. Hosted by Jane and Al Anderson, the Golf Realty Network is all about living where you play on the golf side. You'll hear from the course pros and vendors, while the real estate side will bring you the top agents and brokers who know how to market or find your golf community home. Tune in to the Golf Realty Network, Wednesdays at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety and rebroadcast weekly on Voice America Sports. If you're a golf enthusiast and looking for some great golf properties in the desert southwest, you'll want to make the Golf Realty Network your weekly stop. Hosted by Jane and Al Anderson, the Golf Realty Network is all about living where you play, on the golf side. You'll hear from the course pros and vendors, while the real estate side will bring you the top agents and brokers who know how to market or find your golf community home. Tune in to the Golf Realty Network, Wednesdays at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety, and rebroadcast weekly on Voice America Sports. 
Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. We're back. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. This morning, my guest is Lauren Beller-Blake, and uh, we've been talking about her new book, Splash, How Women Entrepreneurs Dive Into Success. And Lauren and I have really been going piece by piece. I mean, we're giving you all the information, talking about very specifically how you create that splash and how women entrepreneurs that she interviewed in the book have dove or dived, I think you can say either one, into success. And one of the things we've been taught before we took the break is you have to do is create a full, balanced life. And you, that's not always easy to do, as both of us know, right, Lauren? It's Absolutely. Not, yeah. it's, not, it's also not like an end place. Once you create balance in this minute, the world throws you another thing that knocks you off balance. So to me, it's like a tightrope walk. Yeah. It's constantly moving. Exactly. Yeah. And oh. the, and it's about creating balance with what life throws you. You know, it might be I, the past month I've been sick two times, so not like me, you know? So, yep. oh, that threw me off. Um, you know, there's always things that throw us off that has us recreate that homeostasis space. And there's no such thing. You know, it's momentary. It's a, it's a work in progress every minute. It's a work in progress every minute. Life throws you. You have no idea what's going to happen. What you, the only thing you can do is be prepared and kind of understand the process of creating that balance because it's true. And I, 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 there's one thing that I always said to my brothers, and he always, in my family, everybody thinks that they know everything. But one of the things my brother said that you, that I told him was that, you know, you prepare for this and you prepare for something else. And then what happens that really has an impact on your life comes from left field and you have to deal with that, whatever it is. Oh, I'd say. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, left field always throws us, doesn't it? Yes, it does, but it, it really does. But I think if you don't fight it, if you say, okay, all right, this is something I have to deal with, I have to get things in balance, and and I have no choice. This is what I'm going to do. Know, the other piece that I noticed about these women is that there is something, and this is not in the book, there is a place of taking care of ourselves. Like when we get out of whack you know, and le- or life throws us the, you know, the left-hand curveball, um, there is a place of asking ourselves, what do I need right now? And that's not coming from a selfish place. That's coming from a what do I need so that I can, as you said a few minutes ago, be my best. That's, that's critical. And I think it's gotten a bad rap because, especially for women, I go back to that. Well, if you're taking care of yourself, then you're being selfish. No, you're not. You're that's exactly being right. It's actually that's exactly the opposite, taking care of yourself. Now, there is a point that, you know, you can take care of yourself to the point that you're neglecting the people around you. That's not okay. Yeah, and that's not what we're talking about. Exactly. Taking care of yourself, yeah, is not that. So well, all right, let's, let's do the next one. It's a new age, you, you say, a new age. This is something that, they, that these women entrepreneurs have focused on, age of responsibility, choice, and confidence. What does that mean in terms of the book? It's everything. Um, Every single one of these women felt it was their 100% responsibility to create and take their life to the next level or to the place that they wanted to take it, their vision. They saw nobody else to blame at fault or um, 
there was nobody else that was in the equation but themselves. It was their full responsibility to create their vision. And that was across the board. I loved hearing that. It was I, that's, that's empowering. It's empowering. They also realized that every single day they had a choice. They had a choice on their attitude. They had a choice on their actions. They had a choice of whether they wanted to quit or go forward. And there was days they wanted, you know, they wanted to quit, but they chose not to because they were fully responsible for creating things. So responsibility, choice, and last but not least, confidence. What I, every single one of these women was amazingly confident. And I, this is a critical point. So many women come to me and say, oh, I want more confidence at the end of a program with me. And what I say to them up front is no program is going to give you confidence, but what will give you confidence, and I hope everybody can hear this one little tiny nugget, is when we say to ourselves, I will do this, and we follow through with it. That creates confidence. It creates confidence, and it's so true because you have to be responsible for your own choices and make your own choices, and then the confidence builds. And if you don't do that, you can't gain confidence. And you say new age, a new age, because I wonder if women of maybe the previous generation or women have not taken responsibility. You know, they, well, it's up to my parents or my husband, or if my kids are doing this, I can't do this, or I'm in this kind of a circumstance because, and it's not, and that doesn't, you don't gain confidence doing that. No, not at all. Yeah. And every single one of these women, because of their ability to be responsible for their own actions and outcome, um, developed their sense of confidence. They didn't, they didn't give the power of developing their own confidence away to anybody else. Uh, and we are, well, I mean, we are taught to do that in some way, aren't we? I mean, we have been, I mean, over thousands of years. I mean, this is a, you talk about a new age. It is a new age because that's a big change. We have to take responsibility for our choices, and then we will become confident. And some of our choices aren't going to be good ones. And okay. we have to then, we have to figure out why it wasn't good and, and to make changes. And, and that builds from confidence. It. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, and what I was just going to say is when we make choices that aren't good, we all make them, um, and that happen, they happen all the time. I think so many women admitted to that, too. I loved they admitted their faults, they admitted their failures, and what most important, they chose to learn from those failures and those lousy choices. And that, I think was, that was totally uniform across the board also. See, that's very positive because I think that's when you read some of these autobiographies of, of men in particular, which brings us to the next topic, but men will always say, I became most of the men who are really, really successful, whether they are Forbes 100 people or whatever their success is in, they will say the thing that made me the most successful or why I became so successful is because it had to do with my failures. First, I had to fail and some, sometimes fail miserably, and that's what led me to my success. I exactly. Always, yeah, and, and I think women are beginning to see that as well. So men, what do they have to do with it? You say, Everything. <laughs> <laughs> Everything. And I say that on so many levels. So first of all, I say that because men have been leading the charge when it comes to career building and business building for centuries and centuries, and we tend to copy what they're doing, like, oh, they're doing it this way, let's do it like they do it. And what I, my great example that I love to use is that, you know, when it's time for school in the morning, I, before I go, before Sierra's, uh, my daughter, uh, needs to have lunch made, I oftentimes will think the night before, hmm, what am I going to put in her lunch? Do men think like that? No. 
No. So we have different brains. We don't. They, we have absolutely one hundred percent different brains. We can't think that how they go about life is how we need to go about life and business and success. So yes, they're they're forging the path, but we are making a mistake if we follow that path and don't take into our into account our own needs, ways, intuitions, desires, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There are so huge gender differences and huge, huge, and huge. we have to, and in order to do what all you're saying, whether it's with your kids or whether it's at work, we have to recognize those gender differences and use the ones that we have to the best of our ability. Don't you think so? I mean, yeah, trying to copy somebody else or trying to copy how men do things or is is really puts us in a very bad position. And, and I think. Yeah, and I think, you know, I don't, the, the women in the book, for instance, I mean, I think when women first began to get into business and became entrepreneurs and, and, and in, in great numbers, which has only happened, let's say, in the past, say, 25 years, I think initially they did it by trying to copy men, even copy the clothes that they wear. You know, they were, you know, women in corporate America would wear these suits, man suits. Exactly. That. Remember that? I re- yes. I, and we st- I still see that now and then. But you see, yeah, I agree with you. In every capacity, we need to stop and ask ourselves, am I doing this my way or am I doing this sort of like, quote, the way I think it should be done? That's, you have to ask that question, I think, almost every day, don't you? We and, do. We yeah. do. So that's yeah. one aspect of this conversation. Um, and I touch on so many different facets of this topic throughout this particular chapter. The other thing is that the male and female energies are very different, and we, and we all have both in us. You and I tend to probably be more masculine in some ways, Catherine, yes. you know, just because uh, yeah. it's our way. Mm-hmm. But we, that masculine energy actually serves us. And the person that I loved who gave, gave words to this was... Um, uh, Mari Smith. Mari Smith talked about this, and she's the social media guru actually here in San Diego. And um, she gave really nice words to this, that success does take male and female energies, but to use them in ways that are going to serve the end result, not not hinder it. And that's a really important piece. The other piece that um, most of these women that I interviewed had extremely supportive husbands um, in the background. Almost everybody. There was a handful of us that did not. Um, and that's what I loved about that is you could see both, that those that had really supportive husbands in the background, it made life easier for them. They had, they had more people, um, a part of their village, male or female, than those that did not. And those that did not still created major success, but they worked harder. They worked in a different capacity. They paid for their village in a different way. Because and I also, I mean, you're talking about paying for your village in a different way and, and getting the help that you need from other sources if you don't have a partner who supports you. I think there's also another piece of that, and this is kind of related to the, your last book, you know, give energy to that which you want to grow. And if you're using energy with uh, somebody who isn't helping you and, 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 and spending energy on that, it takes away from the positive energy that you want to use for your business, let's say. And that makes it dif- more difficult. It takes more physically, emotionally, and socially, and even financially. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. This, this, this topic is really powerful. And I think there's three kinds of men in the world. Um, I put them in buckets, categories. There's really supportive men that um, are supportive of women just because they're humans on the planet and they want to be supportive of those, those, their partners or even people. Um, they're amazing men. They're up for the change. They want to support the change that's happening in the world. Um, and they're willing to play in the change. Like they want to support it for their sake too. They see it has value and they're for them as well. 
Then there's people that actually resist it. Like they don't want women to, they want women to stay the way they were 100 years ago, 200 years ago, you know, thousands of years ago. They want to bring home the bacon. They want women to do their homemaking thing. And that's okay too. There's a time and place for that. And there's a lot of people at some point, you know, at Christmas time, that might be a nice thing for a week, you know? (laughs) Um, And then there's men that sort of aren't even paying attention. They don't even realize what's going on and they don't really care. And they're sort of doing their own thing with and allowing the the other stuff to happen in the background without even paying attention. Mm-hmm. I think those are great examples. I think that's very true. So, what what do, to answer the question again? And you answered it in the beginning of this conversation. Men, what do they have to do with it? Everything. And so we don't want to forget that um, a way of being. And you've got uh, a way of being your best self uh, to make a splash. Uh, let's. We have about a minute left to go. So let's. Kind of end it with that one. Yeah. Um, well, this is important. I think every single one of these women um, were mastering, and there's no such thing as have mastered, but they're mastering being their best self in their hardest times. Fantastic, Lauren. It's so great to talk to you again. Um, I just I'll mention the book. My next guest is here, Lauren Beller Blake. Go out and buy the book Splash: How Women Entrepreneurs Dive Into Success. Love the book. Thanks. Talk to you soon. Bye, Catherine. Thank you. Uh, yep. We're going to take a short break. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. You're listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Coming up next is Stephen Nathy, author of, he has a new book called Van Gogh, The Life. Uh, and um, don't go away. We'll be back in a minute. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rock and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her PR experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to the Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. We're back. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Joining me this morning is Stephen Nathy, author of Van Gogh, co-author of Van Gogh, The Life, uh, the other author is Gregory White-Smith, and we're going to be talking about his new book, Van Gogh, The Life. Uh, Stephen is, uh, he has all kinds of degrees, including a law degree from Harvard Law School, and he is a Pulitzer Prize uh, winner. Uh, he wrote the book on the life of Jackson Pollock, an American saga. Uh, welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning. Catherine, thank you so much for having me on your show. 
Well, as you know, and I don't think you knew it before the show, I am a social worker. So I'm, I, you know, and, and uh, this book ha- has a lot to do with uh, kind of redefining. I don't. Van Gogh's life in terms of who he was emotionally and, and socially and his relationship with his family. Um, yeah, I would think this would actually be, uh, this book would be as interesting to a social worker as it would be to an art historian. Yes, I think it is, because that was one of the questions. Do you have to be an art historian to understand no, the book? No, no. You know, even though uh, I, I studied art history both at Princeton and Harvard, um, uh, you know, we, we, we really come at this as biographers. You know, we hope that you, we can help you see the paintings um, clearer. And Vincent himself thought that you really can't look at a work of art unless you know the man behind it. But uh, the, this book is biography, not art history. Yeah, it is biography, and you help us to understand the man behind it. And as I understand it, you worked on this book for 10 years. You, 10 uh, years. You had all the information, or you got a lot of information from the Van Gogh Museum in Amsterdam. I was just there a couple years ago. Um, tell us about Van Gogh, the person, because he isn't exactly who we thought he was, according to, to your book. Well, it, 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 uh, the myth built uh, immediately. Uh, in fact, he became famous because of the ear incident. Uh, somebody who hadn't met him, uh, who a young writer in Paris who believed that that art was not about what you see in front of you; it's about what the artist feels. Heard about this crazy guy in an insane asylum in southern France who'd cut his ear off, and wrote this uh, uh, long, involved. Uh, article saying that the greatest living artist was this person you've never heard of in the south, the south of France. And that was done in January of 1890, about seven months before Vincent died. And and his fame really began with that article. He sold a painting. Some paintings went off to an exhibition in Brussels. Claude Monet said, gosh, this guy is doing some interesting work. Uh, so um, uh, the, the, the celebrity took off almost immediately. And then, of course, Irving Stone wrote the novel. And then Kirk Douglas made the movie. And so the, the, we all feel like we know him. Uh, because we know his paintings and we know some, some some of the key details about his life, especially the ear incident. But there's the the man behind all that is really more complicated than the than the uh, sort of Hollywood romance would suggest. Yeah, as I and as you point out in the book, I mean he wasn't necessarily Van Gogh was not necessarily a likable character. He was disturbed. He had very. A bad, not a good relationship with his father, who was a parson, and he tried to do that, and apparently he wasn't good at it, and his mother, he fought with his father all the time, and uh, as you, uh, when his father died, his mother blamed him because of all the chaos he had created in the family, and so he was kind yes. of a loner. Uh, well, he, and, the, the, because he was mentally ill, he had uh, what, what both his own doctors and the weight of psychiatric opinion since they are agrees is a disease called temporal lobe epilepsy, a kind of epilepsy that attacks the part of the brain that controls personality. It controls your identity, memory, um, perception. Uh, and it has a collection of personality traits around it uh, that are that are really difficult. Uh, one of them is argumentativeness. He would, his brother said, he would argue you to exhaustion and then submission. And the minute you submitted, he would take your side of the argument and argue it all over again. And then Stephen, I want to stop it. you because we only have a few minutes, and I have a question. When, as I was sure. I thought about this before, uh, you know, before you got on the air, and you know, Van Gogh. 
you know, as you picture him in the book, he has suffered from temporal lobe epilepsy. He had, you know, poor relationships with people, bad family situation, yeah. and yet he was this incredible artist. I mean, he painted beautiful paintings. He was very successful. I mean, he died at the age of 37. Now, today, and, you know, we get a lot of this, you know, there's all this stuff about family values and being close to your family. And unless you're close to your family and, you're, and, and you don't have these ties, uh, these positive emotional ties, you're not going to do well. But this wasn't the case with me. Well, I wonder, I wonder if there aren't, uh, you, you, uh, it sounds like you have more uh, training in social work than I certainly do, so uh, you might have a stronger opinion on this than, or, or a more educated opinion than I do. But I wonder if there aren't two different ways to, uh, to, to develop an uh, ambition. There are those of us who are lucky enough to have unconditional love, and we want to earn that, uh, you know, repay that unconditional love by achieving something that will make our parents proud of us. Uh, but I wonder if there isn't an equal and very and completely different way of achieving ambition, and that is if your if your parents reject you for whatever reasons, uh, right or wrong, and you spend your whole life trying to earn back their love, uh, that can be a motivation every bit as strong. And that's and Vincent spent his entire life trying to prove his worth and trying to and bidding for his parents' affection. So uh, I, I certainly wouldn't want to recommend it as a as a as a, as a way to raise your children, but because uh, the uh, the the uh, uh, you, you want them to grow out of unconditional love, you don't want them to grow out of misery and uh, and rejection. But I think there are some people in life who have achieved great things because they were trying to overcome the rejection they felt as children, and Vincent certainly was one of them. Yeah, so he he was able to do this as a result of the tension. Do you think his exactly. relationship with his brother, Theo, I mean, do you need one person in your life who you feel yes, is there? Yes, and that, that's a nice point, uh, uh, Catherine, is that, that maybe it would be impossible if there wasn't at least some lifeline, and, and Theo was that lifeline, because even though the, the, the sort of hero worship that Theo felt of when 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 Vincent was a child, uh, and they were children together, ended. He uh, he 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 loved him profoundly. He also felt a, ter- a profound family duty to him. And without both the um, the financial support that Theo gave him and the emotional support, I don't know that Vincent could. In fact, I, I think it's fair to say Vincent could never have achieved what he did. In in this whole project, tell us because we only have a couple minutes left. Um, what was the what? what for you, uh, what would you say was the, the the most exciting thing that that came out of this whole project and working on well, this project? Well, I, I think there there is uh, for all people. I think whether it's conscious or not, there's a sense that that Vincent was able to pull this these great jubilant, glorious uh, images out of the deep well of sorrow that was his life. And I think there's a message there for all of us, because even though, fortunately, very few of us live lives as miserable as Vincent's, we all have our daily troubles. We all have trials and tribulations. And and uh, I think the message um, that we, we get from these paintings, that we, we know from the incident that he was miserable, believe me, after you read our book, you'll know just how much more miserable he was. How really uh, miserable he was. The, the fact that he was able to do something not just good but glorious and to take and get the attention of the whole world and to provide millions of people with comfort and consolation and joy is a really profoundly positive message that all of us can take from from his uh, from his life. Well, thank you, Stephen, and I'm sorry we we uh, we 
running out of time because I could obviously go on and talk to you more about the book. It's a great book, Van Gogh, The Life. You can buy it, bookstores everywhere, Amazon.com. And is there a website we can go to? for? To yes, we have, a, we have a huge website with all the sourcing, uh, with lots of additional f- pictures and the like. It's free of charge. It's VanGoughBiography.com, and uh, we're really proud of it. We think it, uh, it, it it's where... Um, books are going, well, there'll be a kind of a book and a website all working together in the future. Terrific. Thanks so much for being on the show this morning. Catherine, thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Stephen Naffey, author, co-author of Van Gogh, The Life. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. You've been listening to us on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Wednesday. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Catherine Zox Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversations with Catherine Zox.